I count it a great privilege, a genuine privilege and honor to, uh, to be here with you uh, this morning um, in this uh, period of AD. Um, Dan is a dear friend. I'm old enough to be his father. I've always considered him to be a son in the faith. And uh, as I look around at this congregation, of course, there are many of you for a variety of reasons uh, that I really know uh, quite well. So when David called and asked if I would preach in this uh, month of February, uh, these first four Sundays after Dan has uh, stepped down and begun his new work, um, I thought, well, I got knee replacement surgery on January 10th. Let's see, that's three weeks and three days. Yeah, we can do that, let's go for it, so, okay. So we'll soon find out whether or not we in fact can do that. And uh, I apologize, I'm not using the regular mic the preacher might use, I'm preaching from the pulpit mic here, but I've got these glasses, hearing aids, already hanging on my ears. It's just hard to hang one more thing in such a little space. Please uh, open your Bibles to Joshua, Joshua, the 22nd chapter. And let me read for you this morning verses 1 through 6. Uh, we will not really be looking at verses 7 through 9. They just sort of complete the story of verses 1 through 6. But next week, uh, we will then look at verses uh, 10 uh, through 34. But for this morning, let me read for you from Joshua chapter 22 and verses 1 through 6. At that time, and of course that time is that the children of Israel have now crossed into the promised land. They've begun the process of conquest. Uh, the land has been divided up among the various tribes at that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, two and, the ha two and a half of the twelve tribes. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn, go to your tents in the land where your possessions lie, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to cling to him, to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So Joshua blessed them 
and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Let's pray together. Father, these are your words, written for our instruction and for our encouragement, written to challenge us. And I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of the hearts of these, your people, will prove pleasing in your sight, that you might be glorified and honored, and that we might therefore be blessed. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you are old enough to remember Reader's Digest publishing condensed books? How many of you remember that? Yeah. They were awful, but there they were. Uh, they contained three or four novels that had been just mutilated by the, uh, the editors of, uh, of Reader's Digest so that they could give you these three or four novels in abbreviated forms. Well, the Lord avoids the mistakes of the editors of the Reader's Digest, I assure you, but we've just read from Joshua 22, but if you turn over to Joshua 24, verses 2 through 13, you'll find there the Lord giving to his people a condensed, very condensed recital of Israel's history. And the Lord begins by rehearsing his gracious, undeserved, unmerited calling of a worshiper of strange gods. And that worshiper of strange gods was Abraham. God called him. God led him to Canaan, where after many years to Abraham and Sarah, Isaac is born, and then to Isaac and Rebekah. These twin boys are born, Jacob and Esau. And then the strangest thing for me as I read this is that though, I, though Esau, Esau is not the son through whom the Lord will fulfill his covenant promises to Abraham, yet the Lord says, okay, I gave to Esau the territory around Mount Seir. So what did the Lord give to Jacob, who is the son of promise, who is the son through whom God's promises to Abraham will be fulfilled? We're not told that he gave him anything specifically. What we're told is that he led Jacob and his children into Egypt. Now, Jacob and his family moved to Egypt because famine had devastated the Middle East, but there was still food available for purchase in Egypt. And the reason there was still food available in Egypt was because of Joseph, who was Jacob's 11th son, who Jacob had no idea was alive. For decades, Jacob had been told by his 10 older sons, Joseph's dead. He got wiped out by some wild animals. And they lied to their father for these many, many years to cover up the fact that they had sold their younger brother into slavery. Of course, they sold him into slavery because they were jealous of Joseph. They were jealous of Joseph because he was obviously their father's favorite. You remember the coat of many colors and all of that. So into Egypt they go, and Joseph has gone into Egypt before them, 20 years before them, having been sold by his brothers into slavery. And there in Egypt, 
After many years of intense hardship, Joseph is raised up by God to the position of becoming Egypt's prime minister. He is second in authority to the Pharaoh. And because of Joseph's God-given wisdom, he uses his authority to prepare Egypt for the famine that the Lord has revealed would be coming. Now, if you're looking there in Joshua 24, the Lord chooses not to rehearse the story, which would have been well known to these hearers of how in Egypt eventually, uh, the Egyptians eventually enslaved the Israelites and, and, and cruelly mistreated them. But instead, you'll note that in chapter 24, verse 5, the Lord speaks of that moment, that moment less than 50 years earlier, when he sent Moses and Aaron to miraculously and, and graciously deliver Israel from their enslavement in, in Egypt. And then the Lord reminds his people of how he parted the waters of the Red Sea so that they might escape the pursuing Egyptian army. And then the Lord caused those same waters to rush back into place, drowning Egypt's infantry and cavalry. In verse 8 of chapter 24, the Lord speaks very quickly about them living for a long time in the wilderness. Of course, as his hearers well knew, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they had doubted the Lord. They had doubted the Lord's ability to provide for them the land he promised. And during those 40 years, everyone who had been 20 years of age or older when they left Egypt had died, except for Joshua and Caleb. Now, in verses 8 through 13 of Joshua chapter 24, the Lord recites their recent history. After 40 years of wandering, the Lord brought them to the east bank of the Jordan. Wish I had a diagram up here. Here's the Jordan. The Lord brings them brings them to the east bank of the Jordan, the east bank of the Jordan, across from what we think of as Israel. He brings them to the east bank of the Jordan. And while they're on the east bank, the Lord through them defeats the Amorites and the Lord protects them from the soothsayer Balaam's attempts to curse them. I mean, every time Balaam opened his mouth to curse Israel, he ended up blessing them. And then the Lord finally led them across the divided waters of the Jordan into the west bank of the Jordan River. And there the Lord defeated Jericho and defeated the various nations that opposed them. And note what the Lord reminds them of at the end of verse 11 and the end of verse 12. The Lord says to them, remember, I gave them into your hands, just as David acknowledged in our reading of Psalm 144 this morning. The Lord said, remember, I gave them into your hands. Remember, you won these battles not simply because of your sword or because of your bow. It was me working through you that won these victories. And finally, in verse 13 of Joshua 24, the Lord tells them now, 
Now I've given you this rich land on which you did not labor. I've given you cities that you did not build, but in which you now dwell. And I've given you vineyards, and I've given you olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, believer, we would take the time to rehearse all of that because you ought to love that story. You should never grow old of hearing that story. That's the story of some 700 years of history. And the reason you ought to love this story is because it's your history. It's your history. These are your ancestors. These are your forefathers and your foremothers. These are your people. This history should also encourage you because just as the Lord was with Old Testament Israel, so he is now with you. He promises his Old Testament people that they would dwell in a land of peace. But do you understand that that promise was never fully fulfilled in the Old Testament, but that promise is now yours. And that promise doesn't simply speak about some land at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. That land of perpetual peace, first promised to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, now promised to you. It's the land spoken of in Hebrews eleven sixteen, which tells us that Abraham, when he entered Canaan, was looking for a better country. And then the writer of Hebrews, and I know who the writer of Hebrews is, but I can't share that with you. <laughs> but, and, and so the writer of Hebrews teaches that that better country that Abraham was looking for was in fact a heavenly country. And earlier in Hebrews 11, in Hebrews 11.10, we're told that when Abraham entered Canaan, he was looking forward to living in a city built upon firm foundations whose designer and builder is God. The city Abraham longed for is in fact the holy city coming down out of heaven from God, seen by John in Revelation 21 and verse 2. It is your final home. It is for you that land, that promised land of perpetual peace, where we're told in Revelation 21 and verse 3 that God dwells in the midst of his people because he is their God and they are his people. And if that language is not familiar to you, that is the language that is attached to so many of the covenant promises found throughout the Old Testament scriptures. May the day come when it is clearly known that I am your God, that you are my people. That's the city, that's the land for which Abraham longed. Now, I have to confess that I'm not familiar with the history of Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church. Uh, I'm not. But I do know this, 
God has raised you up in this place. He has brought you together as men and women, boys and girls, delivered by him from your Egypt, from the dominion of darkness in which you once lived. He has graciously and mercifully and lovingly delivered you and brought you into the kingdom of his son. For by grace through faith in Jesus, you are delivered from sin's curse and power. Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins. He rose again to assure you of eternal life. He now reigns in heaven over all the affairs of this world, of this church, of your individual lives. And one day, and may it be soon, he will come again and you will dwell with him forever in perfect peace in that promised land, in perfect peace upon that new earth beneath the new heaven. So I don't know your history, but I do know this. I know this. As he was with Israel, so he is with you, the new Israel of God. You know, I'm sure that Old Testament, is well, we know for certain. I mean, all you do is read the Old Testament. Old Testament Israel's history had its ups and downs. And I would assume that the history of Chattanooga Valley Presbyterian Church has had its ups and downs. It's the way it is in this world. But the Lord promised Abraham that through him and his descendants, he would bless all the peoples of all the earth. And despite Old Testament Israel's ups and downs, through her came Jesus. And because of Jesus, you are Abraham's promised descendants. And from Jesus, you have this promise. I will build my church and not all the powers of hell will be able to overthrow her. You believe that? Here at this moment that you've labeled AD, do you believe that? I know you're Presbyterians, but let me try this again. <laughs> do you believe that? Yes. Amen. You've testified before the Lord that you believe that, that you believe that. Now you've reached a moment of transition. As Pastor Emeritus of Covenant Presbyterian Church, I know well about such moments. The Lord has graciously led Covenant Church through three such years. I pray that he will move, that, that, that you will move confidently through your time of transition. I pray it won't last for three years. But whatever the Lord intends, I pray you will eagerly wait to see what he intends to do. And be confident. Let me tell you a story. For seven years during the 70s, I was pastor of Bethel Presbyterian Church in Sparta, Illinois, about the same time that Scott was living in southern Illinois because his father, Legree, a good friend of mine, was pastor in a little town 20 miles south of Sparta called Cutler. Now, you all know Cutler, Illinois, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. How about Sparta, Illinois, you know? Wonderful little towns in southern Illinois. I was there seven years during the 70s when I became assured that the Lord was calling me to a new work. I, I began to, to worry about who would be the next pastor of these people that I dearly loved. 
Well, the next pastor, let me just tell you this story quickly. You know who the next pastor of Bethel Presbyterian Church turned out to be? The next pastor of Bethel Presbyterian Church turned out to be Dr. Brian Chapel, one of the finest preachers and pastors within the PZA, and of course, formerly the president of Covenant Theological Seminary. And I remember thinking, I think he's got it. I, 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 think, I think he'll be all right, so. Well, the Lord's taken good care of my people in both Southern Illinois at Covenant Presbyterian Church. So what does the Lord intend for you? I don't know. But I want to direct your attention this morning to Joshua 22, verses 1 through 6. Look at Joshua 22, verses 1 through 6. It's a moment of transition for the children of Israel. They've, they've conquered much of the promised land. There's still a lot of work to do, but they have the Lord's promise, as do you, that he will be with them. Now, prior, when they were all on the east bank of the Jordan, prior to crossing the Jordan to the west bank, Prior to that, the Lord through Moses conquered territory there on the east bank of the Jordan River. That territory was allotted, it was given to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That's where they were to settle. But before they could settle there, the Lord instructed them that they were to send their fighting men to stand beside the armies of the nine and a half tribes now on the west bank of the Jordan, until that territory had been sufficiently conquered that it could be divided up among those nine and a half tribes. And they had done that. Look at verses two and three of chapter 22. Joshua says to them, you've kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You've obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days these many days being approximately five or more years. You have not forsaken your brothers. You have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And so Joshua tells them, look at verse 4. He tells them, now you may turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies. You fought these battles on the western bank. Now you may turn and go back to the eastern bank where your territory lies. And then you'll just note in verse 6 that Joshua blesses them as they turn to go. Now focus with me on verse 5. Here we find Joshua's instructions and challenge for the people of Israel. Now, his words are, directly, are directed particularly to the two and a half tribes, but his challenge in this verse is applicable to all of us. They serve us well, as, and they serve you well as you walk uh, at this time, as you walk through this, this moment of transition. Now look, look at, look at verse five. First of all, note how Joshua in verse five, having praised them for their obedience and faithfulness in the preceding verses, now he calls upon them, I love this, he doesn't call upon them to be careful. He calls upon them to be very careful. I just find that remarkable. I'm calling upon, you know, if my father said to me, you know, you need to be careful, son, you know, 
I tried to pay it. If he said to me, son, you need to be very careful here. I knew this was rather a serious matter, to say the very least. And Joshua says to them, now be very careful. Now, as we're going to see next week, times of transition can, be prove, can prove to be times of testing. And therefore, Joshua now calls upon them as he calls upon you during your time of transition to be very careful. To be very careful to do what? Look at it. I, I, I hope that Joshua 22 verse 5 becomes for you one of your favorite verses in all of Scripture. This is a remarkable verse. Look at verse 5. To be careful to do what? To be very careful to observe the Lord's commandments and laws that teach you how to live as his people, as a people who profess that he is your Lord. More specifically, Joshua calls upon them to love the Lord their God. Now, I hope you've always understood this. Loving the Lord and keeping his commandments, they go hand in hand can't be separated. You, you can't pull those two. You cannot keep the Lord's commandments unless you love the Lord. And, unless, and if you love the Lord, then you're going to strive to keep his commandments as he enables. Keeping the Lord's commandments is always a response of a heart which is passionately in love with the Lord. I mean, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? What? You'll keep my commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, the first four commandments teach you how to love the Lord, and because you love the Lord, you eagerly heed the final six commandments that teach you how to love one another. When Jesus was asked to name the greatest commandment, he responded by saying that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength and mind. And if you so love the Lord, Jesus says, then you will love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Look at chapter 20, Joshua 22, 5. What does it mean to love the Lord? To love the Lord means to walk, that is to live in accordance with all his ways. It means to keep his commandments, to keep them because you love him, because you love him with everything you've got, and therefore you love one another so much. You love one another so much that you put the needs of others before your own. Now, if you love the Lord, you're going to cling to him. You're going to hold fast to him. You're going to passionately desire to honor and glorify him in all that you do and all that you say. I clung to my father. I, I can honestly confess that. I clung to my father. I deeply desired to hold fast to his words of instruction. As a teenager, when I left the house, he would say to me, son, remember who you are and whose you are. Now, sadly, I have to admit, I didn't always listen to him, but I can tell you that most of the time, his words shaped my behavior. Son, remember who you are and whose you are. Clinging to my father's words 
I tried to walk in the way that I knew he would have me walk. I look around the congregation this morning. I'm about one of maybe three people who has on a suit and a tie. You know why I have on a suit and a tie? I have on a suit and a tie because my father told me, don't you ever step into the pulpit without a suit and a tie. And always make sure your shoes are polished. I won't show you my shoes. Okay, so. So if you love the Lord, cling to him. And because you love the Lord, you're going to strive in the strength that he supplies to walk in the way that he would have you to walk, which is described in verse 5 as serving him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. The times of transition are challenging. When those times come, as they have now come, remember what you profess to believe. Remember what you said amen to. Remember that the Lord is the one who will and is leading you through the days to come. During these coming days, be very careful. Be very careful to keep your king's commands. Be very careful to love your Lord, to walk in his ways, to cling to him, to, to serve him with, with all you do and say, to, to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Why? Because he's delivered you out of the dominion of darkness. He's brought you to live as faithful citizens of the kingdom of his son. Because he promises to be with you always. Because he promises that he will build his church. And not even all the power of hell can overcome his people or defeat his purposes to love you with a love that will never let you go. Let's pray. Father, may we always strive to be mindful, and because we are mindful, to be very careful, to be very careful, to heed your words of instruction to us. I pray your blessings upon this, the, these people Father, give them the confidence of knowing who you are, of knowing whose they are. Father, lead them, direct them, and may the day come when together we celebrate what the Lord has done. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.